start. Sooners of Oklahoma 12-0 and still looking for respect nationwide. is going on sooner nation thank you all for tuning into another episode of the barry and mac show as always myself barry personal trainer sports performance coach out of tulsa oklahoma and alongside me former sooner wide receiver 2000 national champ mr damian mackey how are we doing today or tonight D Mac. Feeling like a villain, B. Good to see you, man. Let's rock and roll, brother. So what's going on, Sooner Nation? Good to see you guys again, man. You know, we 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 aim to give you to deliver the goods and give you guys the goods as it relates to our beloved Sooners. Absolutely, man. We've been on a pretty consistent schedule here recently, but there's been a lot of news to talk about during the uh the, the winter months and right out of uh the season. Not a ton of news, but recruiting seems to be in full force. And OU this past week, DMAC, doesn't get some great news um, as it relates to a Wanza Davian Sims. Ends up picking Oregon. Um, he had quite a few offers. He was an athlete who, us at Sooners 360, will give full disclosure. I'd say we, we, it's fair to say we did not have him as our highest rated prospect on the board as it related to other defensive linemen, interior guys, um, exterior guys on the edge who may be ranked a little bit higher than he did. He looks good on the hoof, as Caleb would say, but not exactly in that top tier. But it surprised a lot of Sooner folks that he ends up, he, he seemingly to the casual fan was an Oklahoma guy, but he originally was from Texas. He's only been in Oklahoma just recently. So the in-state thing is a little bit overblown. But Bates was down there, you know, right before he committed. It seemed that OU did want to procure that commitment. Some say he even was all OU until the ninth hour. Uh, very similar to a one David Hicks, although not the same prospect. Uh, but ends up picking Oregon. When you have a surprise like that. And it's tough as as onlookers. Of course, we do have some inside info at Sooners 360 and go check it out. But when you're looking at that as an onlooker, how much of that commitment to Oregon is OU coaches saying, man, you need to go ahead and make a decision. This is where you rank on our board. Um, and then Oregon coaches saying, you know, this is where we see you right now. This is what we want from you. What are some of the factors into it? Let, let's say the situation was him leading the OU coaches on into saying he's going to commit. What does that conversation look like right after? And, and what do sooner coaches do to alleviate something like that? And were they really caught that much by surprise? Yeah, you know, <clears throat> convoluted scenario. I think that there's a lot of layered out. Um, components that we kind of need to address, right? The first thing that we just need to we, we just need to accept is transplant. Obviously, a, a kid who moved, but he is a top recruit in the Oklahoma battlegrounds, and he's in the state wall. So there's a part of this that 
It's just a fact. It doesn't look good when the you know some of the very best talent in your state leaves the state, right? So I do think there's something to be said. In fact, I know. I know there's something to be said about the the perception, the rate, the the right, the actual uh, you know, perception of what that looks like and the coaches having to kind of own that part. And, and it just is what it is. You know, when your state is devoid of a ton of talent and you have the ability to have talent, you always want to keep that talent in state. So, and, and I guess this doesn't specifically relate to, to Sims. It's just right nature of the beast. Because I also know that specifically related to him, apples to apples, he was not in, in, the, in the coaching staff's eyes, the top, um, you know, recruit that we were, we were looking to, to have commit to the program. So, right. It's, it's kind of a conundrum in that on one side of it, you, you don't want, I forget the kid that was from Millwood who ended up going to Texas 10, 15 years ago. He ended up doing nothing while at Texas, but he was a high four-star borderline five-star cruise. Probably when you were in high school, to be honest with Roderick, you. Right? Or was that? I mean, Roderick, right? If, if you said the name, I know it, but I mean, he's literally like 06, 07, 08. He, he's, okay. he's a long time ago. But he's a kid who was a big-time recruit who goes to Texas. Obviously, the pickle kid or pickle kid, there was a kid a couple years after me who was from Jinx or one of those places, and he went to Texas. There it is, right? So, you know, those things happen. And in a state like Oklahoma, you don't want to have a reputation of a lot of the elite talent leaving. But you also have to watch the film and see if the talent matches the measurables. And, and so I'll, I'll, I'll say the second layer, and that's this, development. You don't have a coach like Coach Bates, right, leaving, you know, the, the rumors or, you know, I, I don't know if it's confirmed or 100% confirmed, but obviously people were saying he left his father in a very dire time to go see the young man. And regardless if that's overreached and or exactly what happened, you do that because you believe in your development. And when you have a kid with those measurables, right, you always believe there's the opportunity for you to to improve their status and ability to play. And, you know, you also have to, you have to, you have to consider that, that, that piece as well. You two, what is he? Six, four, 255 pounds. I mean, he's a kid that comes with a lot of things that God gave him that he didn't give 98% of the kids in in Oklahoma uh, who play high school football. So we can't discount the fact that whatever his film looks like, he has attributes that are attractive to D1 programs, which is why schools like Oregon um, are after him. But number three is the actual film. And I'll, and I'll, and I'll say it like this, B, culture. OU now has a reputation of finding football players. And when you do turn on his film, there is some things left to be desired in the place of him being a football player. And so I think that uh that piece of the pie is what kind of makes muddies this or makes it fuzzy because you know when you're talking about an Ashton Sanders or you're talking about you know what's the kid that you love that came in late Marcus what's your kid's Strong. name Marcus Strong right Marcus and you're Strong. talking about RMT our, our coaches are going out and finding ball players and I think this early in the process there really comes Right. The kind of give and take of 
we got a high ranked kid who's done the circuits and measured out and right. You know, he's got what you're looking for, but the tape don't match the performance. Don't match maybe even like the toughness. And, and then I think the willingness to say I'm a D lineman or I'm a D end. I think that part of perception, self-perception versus where you're probably going to fit in in the next, you know, 18 months those parts weren't a match made in heaven. So there's a little bit of hesitation on the coaches, but of course the young man, if there's a, you know, what do they say about economics? It's all supply and demand. If there's somebody who wants your services, then, you know, you are what you're worth. And clearly Oregon felt he was worth, you know, the, uh, the, the ability to accept an offer now or accept a commitment now, excuse me. And Oklahoma was in a position where I would be willing to bet. I don't know this, but I would be willing to bet. He's probably not, um, the number one prospect on their board. In fact, I know he wasn't the number one or two or three prospect on their board. He just wasn't. And they just kind of, kind of deal with the backlash of an Oklahoma kid went to Oregon. Comes with the territory. You win some, you lose some. It'll all, it'll all play out. If we get our top prospects, I think it'll be one of those deals where uh, no harm, no foul. You, you bring up top prospects, and earlier today I posted on Twitter you know, well, what some of the fans wanted us to talk about today, and somebody brought up an interesting one that I don't think we've ever really kind of dove into since the start of the podcast, and it relates to top prospects and committing early in the process and the ramifications that that really has to, in order for you to be able to build around. Like well, we have talked a little bit about quarterback and what that means, but that's not always who is the centerpiece of, of your class, right? It, that's not always the the best player in the class or the driving force, the biggest name. And there's a name floating out there. Everybody knows who it is. He has not committed yet. Yet all of the tea leaves point one way. All of the fans think it's going to be one way. There tends to be right now just a little bit of of showmanship and salesmanship on his part, building the brand, building the anticipation. And we'll talk a little bit about NIL and some of the news there later in the show. And I think we understand all that, that that is that the player has the right to do that. That is how they build their value in this NIL era. If nobody cares about your decision and you don't build suspense and anticipation, there, there's no value in that. But there's got to be a line, I would imagine, DMAC, that the coaches draw in the sand of, I'm sure if the guy's good enough, you obviously wait. But there has to be some level of encouragement from the staff on, hey, man, just make a decision. You want to be here. You know it's the right spot. You doing this is sacrificing the rest of the roster because we can't procure all of the other ingredients to the to the recipe that we want to do if we don't have you. So as it relates strictly to recruiting around a, a centerpiece, right, like a Gerald McCoy level talent, what are the ramifications, if any, of that process just taking way too long into the fall? and getting too close to early signing day. Yeah, I mean, you know, listen, the old NIL thing is 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 a big deal and I get the whole doing what's in your own personal interest. Listen, that's a part of this process that us old heads 
we have to respect. It is literally a business decision now. And, you know, when I was coming out, um, it was just gratitude to have the opportunity to play college ball. Really, all the power was in the hands of the universities, right? You, you got some more. You got some of the power if you were a blue chip, you know, five star recruit back in those days, Gatorade Parade, All-American uh, prep star and super prep. Those are basically the four areas you could be super prep, prep star, Gatorade and parade. You know, like me, I was superstar and, and well, I was prep star and super prep. Uh, California was a top 25 or something in the state of California. They, they had a California ranking back then. Roy was like number four. I was like 25 in California or something like that. But, you know, and then I had grades. I had 4.0. So I, I, I had some, some things in that world. But aside from that, the, the programs have the power. Back then, a, a Northwestern uh, a scholarly was a big deal. A scholarship to, to to Oregon State was a big deal. You know, if you got an opportunity to play college football at at, a, at one of the main conferences on a scholarship, it Minnesota. You know, we look at these colleges now, and there it's kind of like steps and tiers. Ah, back then, NC State was maybe not a Florida State, but it was just as good as ninety percent of college football. Like, and and it's, I think that's why guys were more willing to go to top guys were more willing to go. You know, Marshall Fox at San Diego State, like what? How does he end up there? It's because back then, San Diego State, I actually seriously considered San Diego State. It was a school that I was looking at. They had the major I wanted, and who doesn't want to live in San Diego, right? Now, I would never go to San I would never go to Cal. I would never go to Cal if I had the opportunity to go to an Oklahoma or so on and so forth. It wouldn't even be a consideration. And so the power is in the hands of the players. And there is an aspect of that, that us fans, old heads, I've been there before, blah, 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 community, we got to respect that. But if players are smart, you go look at the Alabamas, the Georgias, the Ohio States, those universities understand how to leverage momentum. Those universities understand that when you have some of the, just throw some names out there, the David Stones out there, right? When you have... The McKinley's, the JAAs, those guys, when when they start passing up and saying, yo, I'm making a decision that's best for me and my family, but I'm bringing the squad with me. Makes a huge difference. And I think it is uh, I think it is intuitively intelligent for Coach V. I think Coach V had a, a, a um, he had an interview a couple of days back and he talked about leveraging that momentum. Right. OU has been very keen and strategic around having the barbecue in June and, and having those 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 very special occasions where you stir up that emotion. Right. I work in a, in a, in a very sales direct environment. And part of my industry is, you know, making sure there is a level of emotion when it's time to make a decision because you want people to have buy in. There needs to be a reason why. Well, in the recruiting game, it, it applies the same way. You know, if I can get a David Stone to say, hey, yeah, I'm an Oklahoma kid, but I'm out in Florida doing my thing. When I commit, I'm calling my boys. And J.A.A., I want to know if you're going to be in the building. And McKinley, I want to know if you're going to be in the building. And hey, Hawk, Hawk, I need you as the QB of the class to be tapping in with the receivers. And, like you need that level of recruiting uh, communication and bringing attention other recruits are watching right and so you know that part of the game there are some guys who who have talent and then there's some guys who have it 
right? And and, and a, an example that us OU, the, the OU contingency, we don't necessarily love this example, but we've seen it and we saw it play out twice. There's a young man who's in Southern California by the name of Caleb Williams. When he came in, think about after the Vanderbrock fiasco, we lose the kid to Georgia and everybody's like, oh my God. And then boom, a couple months later, this kid comes on his own dime and is like, yo, I'm equally as talented. I got this. And then he turns the momentum around and boom, we have a solid class, right? One of Link's, I guess that was Link's last class. Well, then the kid leaves and goes and follows Link to, to, to LA. And what happens? All of a sudden, USC is the place to be. Some of that is Link, but a lot of that is a kid by the name of Caleb Williams. And so um, at OU, you know, obviously, at, um, because we have Hawk in the bag, and obviously I think we may be considering another QB. I love the Samaj kid from back east. To me, he's uh, he's Jalen Hurts with a little bit better. He's further along throwing the football mm-hmm. as, a, as a high school kid, but he's got that physicality and just that lean that forward lean that makes him a running back who just happens to be a phenomenal passer of the ball too. And, and, you know, he's a kid that we could potentially be in the hunt for getting some of these guys that are in play now to verbally commit to and leverage social media and these different platforms, Twitter and IG, right? Snapchat or whatever the hell they're on these days. That part plays a ton. You can't even measure it. Tangibly, you can't measure it, but the impact, everyone feels it. So we need to see it happen. It's so tough to, to tell a kid that you, you absolutely need to draw a deadline in the sand, say this is when you got to do it, and you, you know and see from afar how it affects the class, but you really, you really don't know if he hasn't committed. Well, what are the chances that you think, and obviously this is definitely reading the tea leaves and, and looking too far. Is there any chance he takes this thing like right up to um, like days before early signing day or even considers not signing early signing day? Or do you think the staff would just say, well, well we're not able to do that? Or is, is there any Who's chance? That? That, but it's talking about you, Stone. Yeah. Oh, no. Nah, Stone can wait until the very last. Stone, Stone could say, I want to do five. Five days after the, the late signing period and, and there'll be a spot for him when you've got the talent and the name and the presence. And I mean, you know, kid had a great season playing against the best of the best. He had a solid season playing against the best of the best. And he's a kid we've been after for a couple of years. And he's also an Oklahoma kid. He checks a lot of boxes that Oklahoma needs this win to continue the perception that defense now comes to Norman. Nah, he has a spot as long as he wants one. But again, just just kind of quoting our coach, right? Those who have drama and recruiting create drama in the locker room. That probably is an area where Oklahoma pays closer attention to the behaviors and, you know, the actions and interaction of recruits on the recruiting trail. I think so long as he stays true to whatever conversations they're having offline in a sense that, hey, I want to I want to commit at this date or during season or after season or I'm going to do signing day. And he just keeps it a buck there. I don't think it penalizes him. But if he's flip flopping and saying, I want to do this or I'm coming to the barbecue, but doesn't show up or I want to be here for this game. And all of a sudden he's at another, you know, that's the part where coaches will get concerned and potentially they could probably pull him. You know, I, I don't I, again, that's a kind of kid. I don't think I think he's given a lot of rope before something in, happens. But I think that is something out of a place like, oh, you 
we take that aspect very serious. And I, I, I tend to think he's a kid who is going to get this out of the way. I, you know, if you, if you made me say my um, timeline for him before the season, He's the kind of kid that wants to have that thing knocked out and be able to focus on season. And I also think he's the type of kid who will say, I want to get it done in August or late July because I want to recruit. He's a kid who likes social media. You see some of the things he posts, some of the innuendo he has, right? He's got this on one day. He's wearing that the next day. He's kind of, you know, giving you a little little breadcrumbs about what's going on. I think he's going to be a guy who likes the environment and atmosphere of being known as a recruiter and a guy who helps build out a class. Yeah, I mean, and procuring depth on the defensive line, regardless of the name, is something that it's just OU's top priority right now for for where they yep. need to go, what they want to be. You it, you can't beggars can't be choosers has never maybe been so apropos, but you still want the the talent right. And speaking of spots being available, we won't go too into the details. We have a little bit more over there on 360, um, as well as a good interview with uh, Danny Okoye, uh, an OU target that a uh, lead recruiting analyst Chris Mason did. Um, recently had some, some news about Lacey, a uh, defensive lineman who transferred from Notre Dame, uh, comes to Oklahoma. Some news that maybe is still a little bit up in the air, but doesn't seem to be too much on the positive side. We won't belabor the point. I mean, this is kind of his situation. But I want to ask just in terms of maybe did you have a player that you played with or even you yourself, even though you've talked about yours being a little more gradual, what kind of that sudden realization of I might not get to play this game anymore um, how does that impact um, a, a player who's really committed to, in this case, coming to Oklahoma and saying, you know, I want to get here to try to get to the NFL, right? I want to get here to play for BV and have a chance. Um, what type of gut punch is that for an athlete? It's devastating. Devastating. So this is my own opinion and what I believe. I don't think... I, I can't think of 10% of the guys that I've either played with or coached or, or I don't know, came before me or came after me who didn't see themselves as a college, as a college football player. And that was going to be the end. Just, just, just the lion's share of guys who play college football. One, I think it's a huge uh, accomplishment to just get a D1 scholarship and play ball. But every I don't think I can name three guys that I know that I've ever known who said, oh, I just want to play D1. And then if that's it, that's it. Most want to get to the league, if not all. Like that's a that's a aspiration for everybody. And so to lose the ability to do that and it not be on your terms and it not be due to a lack of talent and it not be due to, you know, you, you gave it your best effort and it just didn't work out for you you know, double down that with it happening overnight. Hi, my name is Damian Mackey and I'm Oklahoma Sooner. Like that was literally what happened, right? You know, it's my junior year and I'm, I, I firmly believe I play on Sundays if I don't get injured because the way the game is played up there, a lot of my attributes were even more um, advantageous. I'm t I was tough. I, I just didn't bust. 
Like you're not going to give me the bust. And the first guys rarely, if ever going to tackle me, unless they've kind of got me, you know, um, where they need to be. And I was a plus athlete. I was, I was, I was one of the better athletes at OU when we had damn good athletes all over the field. So, you know, I, it took me, it took me, I don't know, a year to come to terms with the fact that I wasn't going to play. I'll never forget. Bob comes to me and, and actually Coach Spurrier came first. And, you know, he was like, Mac, I love you, man, but I just want to let you know, coach is going to come and ask you to sign the papers. And I was like, the papers? What are the papers? Mind you, Barry, I'm in the hospital. <laughs> like, it's, I'm not chilling at the crib or, you know, at my dorm or in a class. I'm in the hospital. And Coach Spurrier was like, hey, Bob's going to come uh, to ask you to sign the papers. And so I had to sign documents that essentially said, like, I am foregoing my ability to play football any longer. And if down the road I do, OU is not held responsible for my physical health or my medical responsibilities. Wow. You know, when you when you see that kind of document, it's, it's, it, that's that's heavy. That's real heavy. But but in my situation, there was no question. Like I, you know, I was paralyzed. Like legit, mm-hmm. my my body didn't work correctly, and I wasn't going to play with that. I knew I had things outside of football store for me so when you're talking about that type of scenario b i mean mentally i honestly think that's probably in today's world where everybody's woke and i don't want to call it soft but aware i guess is the word like that's mental health you know what I'm saying? like that's probably a mental health issue i didn't look at it that way for myself i just had to rationalize with reality like reality was like yo bro your head can't take the trauma don't don't put yourself and this is before all the data we saw with the stuff that came out, you know, five, six, seven, eight years after my injury. It just didn't make sense to me. It wasn't a logical decision. So when you have that type of abrupt uh, decision to make and it's kind of like a, a top down uh, directive. That hurts. We play football to play as long as we I would play football until they told me I couldn't play. And even with Spur- even with Schmitty and I hated summers and winters, even with some dickhead coaches who I used to want to, you know, a <laughs> couple choice words and couple, you know, let's put some boxing gloves on and see what happens with all of the other variables that are not fun about playing the sport we all love. You'd have to you'd have to get me kicking and screaming and cut my hands and feet off to tell me I could no longer play on my terms if i go out there and i'm the 11th fastest 40 and and i do 225 seven times there's 100 dudes and my film shows me getting my ass kicked by baylor or k-state there's a part of me that says okay that's probably not you know what's in store for me but you know it just you know it's crazy because i always think about my story like i played two seasons and caught 50 balls and had five tugs and was never the one the year i was the one like I was the one in this one of the positions that is Mark Clayton took over my Mark took my responsibilities. Look what he did his freshman year. He played the role that was my role my junior year. By the way, Mark's a better athlete than me. I, 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 I'm, I'm cool. I can keep it a buck with myself. Like Mark is more fluid through his cuts than it, more than a, he's one of the most I've ever seen. And he is mm. equally tough. Mark's a son of a bitch in blocking. He's a son of a bitch and man to man. And that's why he was. Was a first round draft pick, but by golly, I gotta tell you, I would, would have loved the opportunity to see what would have happened had I not had the freak injury on punt team on a Wednesday practice. God. So I know that wasn't about me, but it took me to a personal no. place, B, because that's literally what happened to me. I wake up and my coach is telling me, Mac, 
I can't tell you. To, he, he, by the way, Coach, 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 Coach Bob said it. He said, hey, look, dude, I cannot tell you. I can't force you to quit. But I got to tell you, you make this decision, financial responsibilities, anything that happens over and beyond us getting you back to normal, it's yours. And any physical harm you are, you incur, you can't come back and sue us. And and I respected it. Like, I get it, right? Oh, if I make that decision, then it's on me. And it wasn't worth it to me to even go down that field. Man, and it's uh, that just makes me think about the amount of things that are on a head coach's plate with each and every player all year long. And every player has their own stuff that they're dealing with. And, and uh, you know, as, as fans, all you see is the the final product out there on Saturday and whether they win or lost. And that's why these coaches get to the end of the year and they might not have had the best season, but they still have some level of pride maybe in how things went. That's because you're not seeing all of these other side conversations, all of these ancillary stories of a, you know, a kid who maybe had something that he was dealing with that nobody knew about. They kept tied under the hat and he was able to get through it and break through it and have a good year. Right. Or it's stuff like this where who knows how he found out about the news, what maybe brought it on. Was it something that happened at practice? Was it a way that he felt? Maybe he went to go get a checkup and they did some blood work. You you never quite, you know, know what, you know, how two plus two equaled four in these situations, but it's a a, a tough gear switch. And we're we're gonna try and do it right here because it, it sad news. Uh, for sure about a guy who we'll see, you know, ho- hopefully there's still some, some room out there for, for maybe, a, you know, everybody said Redmond was, was done and Redmond ended up making a, a relatively solid comeback as a sooner. And not that I'm comparing the two or saying they're the same, but you, you, you never know what, with every situation, but recent news, and I won't talk about it like I know everything about how government works and and the bill situation, but we did a little pre-show research. I talked to a few people today who are in the know, and OU essentially, the, the state, the House and the Senate, vetoed the governor's veto of the NIL bill that the, the previous way things are done was NIL had to be, um, if you got an NIL deal, it had to be procured with the athlete working with an agent. There's also some other stuff in there too, but essentially it limited parental or people within your circle uh, of being involved. And a lot of athletes, they don't have the money to, to fork over to even get an agent in the first place. They don't know where they would go to find an agent. So it's a lot of kids doing doing this stuff on their own or having good parental guidance, right? Well, this bill, um, the main thing it does is it puts OU back in, or the state of Oklahoma, but really OU, back in competition with your Texases, your Alabamas, um, and your states where the NIL policies aren't near as stringent. And it is an interesting sort of backhand to, to Governor Stitt, but we won't get political on this, uh, just for why he might have vetoed the bill and, and all of the other sort of in- interplay there. But maybe talk just grand scheme, DMAC, a little bit uh, about uh, the, the, difference, uh, the differences player to player in a, in a guy who 
you know, a Spencer Rattler who's going to, you know, get seven figure deals and agents are going to be all over that wanting to procure a guy like that, getting them on their on the Rolodex and, and working out deals for them versus a guy who's, you know, maybe looking for some some other things that aren't quite as big and maybe doesn't have the same agent or big agency interests. They're not going to get a rock nation agent kind of deal. Um, talk a little bit about the differences between those and just the importance of Oklahoma staying in competition with, with Alabama and Texas. Yeah, I think the biggest win for the state of Oklahoma is the, the fact that we now have an even playing field for the ability to market set up and, and really, like you said, procure deals for everybody. Everybody's not going to be um, Dylan Gabriel or Jackson Arnold or the big time D tackle safety position wide receiver and have marketing agencies and, and agents of that nature wanting to, uh, you know, right. Cause it's, 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 it's business for them. Doesn't they get a cut. So they're, they're not going to be excited about a kid who, you know, can get uh, 500 bucks a month to show up at a dealership, right? 10% or 20% of that's a hundred dollars. They're not interested in. So, but, but, the player the athlete there's a lot of incentive so you know think about this what if every week you have set up a 500 2000 gig in place and you know uncle bob or uh accountant auntie whoever is helping make sure your books are good your taxes are in order right the income is coming in some basic marketing on social media and or through you know just kind of like small communities grassroots kind of a guerrilla tactics kind of a deal man that makes all the difference in the world and i think that's probably the root of what nil is supposed to be so kudos to the state of oklahoma whoever gets the credit for that i think it's really good to give you know the the <laughs> the slot receiver who's going to catch 27 balls and is very important to the program and is going to, you know, two, three touchdowns, but never be the superstar. It's good for that guy to have the opportunity to market himself and have people that can advocate and be very active in getting maximizing his name, image and likeness. Um, that's for him. So salute to that piece. I think it's pretty dope. Let me tell you a little rumor that I'm hearing. Um, I don't know that I'll call it a rumor, but I just know I have a lot of buddies who are coaches. Uh, one of my very best friends, the receiver coach at Oregon, go figure, uh, Junior Adams. We played Pee Wee together. We've been friends. He, he actually coached against OU early 2000s. He was at like Alcorn State or something. I forgot what the name of the school was we played. It's the school we played, and the, the, the OU fans who are crazy and older would know they never crossed the 50 against us. He was the <laughs> He's the receiver coach. And this, I think I was living in Norman at the time. So this may be like 06, 07 era. I was, I was in Norman considering doing my master's then, but I forgot it was, I don't know if it was an HBCU or just like some Nice small college, State? but it, was it like, no, nah, it wasn't me. Nice. It wasn't me. Nice. Okay. But, but, but Barry, they got like 57 total yards and they never crossed. Oh my God. <laughs> he was a receiver coach and we went to dinner and the whole nine, but uh, he's at Oregon, obviously hype. By the way, hype's hooking it up in October. I'll be, I'm excited to be going to Rocky Top. It'll be dope to see uh, see uh, Tennessee play. I don't, I don't even know a game we're going to. I think it might even be South Carolina or somebody. But a lot of my buddies are coaches, and you know, a lot of coaches are talking about NIL and what it was supposed to be versus what it is. Over fifty percent of the dollars for NIL, for NIL are earmarked for incoming freshmen. The number is something like roughly forty percent 
of the freshmen who are participating in getting all these monies, proceeds, vehicles, whatever they've gotten. It's like 40% of them have gotten any type of return on investment. So imagine the Ohio states, the Oregons, right? The, the Oklahomas, the Texases, the Florida states. Let's just say they have a million dollars earmarked towards NIO. And the high school kids are taking up 50% of that money, half a million bucks. And they're not getting any return on investment. These businesses aren't being able to justify the financial investment in some type of return on investment monetarily and or brand awareness and or market saturation something right these companies aren't getting it and so you and then of course you hear the coaches say like yo what would it look like if our starting middle backer the guy who's actually done it on saturday the guy who actually is 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 a big 12 you know, second team, big 12, honorable mention, all American, whatever the case may be. Right. That person's name, image and likeness has has true value. Their recruits. It's artificial. Right. Their value is based upon a bunch of data points that don't necessarily align to success in college, which doesn't align to success with businesses. And so it'll be interesting to see what NIL looks like in the years to come, because I'm telling you right now, there's an undercurrent of momentum towards that money being specifically earmarked for guys who are on campus, which, right, you're leveraging your actual results and contributions in college, not some over, you know, some 6'2", 215 pound kid who's playing uh, to class 2A football in Wyoming and we don't even know if he's going to be ready to play ball when he get to college because the competition was so terrible we, we don't know if he even going to work hard he may sit the bench the entire time but he's you know he's parlayed two hundred thousand dollars and then in college these companies that are hoping he pans out he doesn't pan out they lose their money. so it'll be interesting to see how that part plays Again, Oklahoma doing a great job in staying abreast of what college or what the other colleges are doing to leverage NIL. I think it's super dope for the for the state and then the players. It's going to be really cool for them to have more advocacy and being able to maximize their value, especially those who have actually done something to deserve uh, the monetary and or whatever benefits that come with it. Yeah, and we won't belabor the point, but I, I was talking about that to someone today when this news came down and he related it uh, kind of to the dot-com bubble that happened in the the late 90s 2000s with companies essentially overpaying for website names and all these things that they didn't know because it was so new how much actual value something had now people who pay attention to recruiting know the odds right 50 percent of the class is probably going to see some meaningful snaps you know, maybe 25% is going to have the potential to be all conference, all American, if, and they all American, even much smaller than that. Right. So how many of those guys that you're throwing money at, even guys who are in the top 100, right. You go back and look at the top 10 of a various year. There's probably four to five names in there that you don't even hear about anymore. Right. I was uh, watching this video that had the year Jalen Ramsey came out and there was three or four people ahead of Jalen Ramsey, who was at 10th that nobody even has ever heard of. And in this day and age, all those guys would be getting money 
to go to whatever school. So that will be interesting down the line. Man, before uh, before we get on out of here today, um, had one last question, and we'll go back into the football stuff. And I, th- I thought this was uh, was interesting. We've talked about DB before, but I think the way to take this, um, especially with us making the announcement of Reggie Pearson, Sooners 360 athlete, just posted the other day, going to be uh, having and launching the Reggie Pearson Jr. show. So guys, make sure to go check that out. Also, we'll be a recurring guest on the Barry and Max show. Going to have to figure out what that intro looks like uh, on various occasions. But uh, definitely go uh, go follow him on the, on the socials. Uh, make sure to show him some love for uh, being a part of the family, if you will. But had a question uh, for, from, uh, from someone on Twitter about the, the variation in lineup that we might expect to see in the defensive backfield specifically, but you could even talk overarching, maybe kind of how this works from a full team concept. But the, the, the players who are going to be getting looks and starting roles and meaningful snaps on opening day versus what that's going to look like against Texas, especially when you have a bunch of players who, is Vickers a corner, is he a safety? Is is Wagner a corner? Is he a safety? Is well, where does Reggie Pearson Jr. fit? Is he a cheetah? Is he a safety? Justin Harrington, what do we do with him? Uh, Deshaun McCullough, how does he fit into that? Um, when you start really looking at what the depth chart is probably going to look like day one to when the games really get serious, fourth, fifth, sixth game down the road. What are some of the changes or, or maybe things that fans can expect to not get too excited on that opening day, but also maybe get an idea of what it's probably going to look like when, when stuff really gets down to it? Yeah, uh, and I'll see how brief I can be with this, but there's a couple of things to think about. And we talked about this a ton uh, during season, right? Think How many times did we, the first four games of the season, have to discuss why, why XYZ is playing? Week zero, week one, week two, week three. So I think the first thing we need to remember is this. We have to assume, and I, and I actually know this. I actually know how BV does how he does it, and I know how Schmitty does how he does it. We know there is a prejudice, a recency bias based upon how you perform in the summer. And, and in the summer first, and then, of course, fall camp. So when we see somebody roll out there and we're like, what? He was fourth team last year. What we don't know is he killed some. And relative to his peers, he outperformed them. Like, so that part of the fan is just remembering week 14 against Florida State. They're not knowing the growth development and maturity and, and people making mistakes um, post that date. So that, that's one thing we, we just got to understand, right? There's going to be a guy or three who every year, they, they get better or a position group where a couple of guys they were depending on screw up and somebody's going to take somebody's spot due to that. So that, 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 that's the first thing. The second thing is at a school like Oklahoma, where generally we have one game that's going to be kind of the the uh, the preview to the season where it's going to be a little tougher. And we'll have two games that are going to be typically cupcakes. Sometimes we have two tougher games, but generally that's our preseason schedule. Coaches wanted coaches do value experience. 
and by the way, that's across the board. That's that's pretty much most programs in America. And so guys who they know on Sunday aren't going to wet the bed are going to have some they're, gonna, they're just going to have some leniencies that the fans we get pissed off because we remember that one game against K-State where you got burned or that one game against Florida State where you whiffed. Right. We're, we, we, we hold a prejudice. Right. God dang it. I'm that damn da, 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 da. coaches look at the big picture. And are able to not have that same level of prejudice against a player. And, and so some of the guys who were hoping for this young pup, DJ is going to be a starter because Downs is this or Grimes is that. Yeah, well, Downs also got some accolades. And to be honest with you, if he's only playing 40% of the snaps he had to play last year, he's probably a more uh, productive player. So that's another piece of it. Uh, but then... The other side of the coin is we got Texas in October and, and you generally don't want your, your, your depth chart or talking DB specifically here. Now we don't want the, and if we don't have to, we don't want the five eleven four six guy. We, 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 by the way, we know how that movie ends. We've seen the five eleven four six guy get toasted on Saturday against Texas. So we, right. We had to up recruiting. We got better players. Uh, and so I, at least when I was at OU and just, just seeing you want the guys, you want to be the guy to be ready come October. And sometimes you use a game in September to let a guy be on notice who isn't cutting the bill yet. Hey bro, you might have to sit a little bench a little more than you anticipated. Give them that extra month to get their mentals corrected so that they can go win the game. So if you asked me, you know, obviously, I think Woody's in, Woody's entrenched. It'd be interesting to see. I think if Gentry's healthy, I think he's entrenched. Wagoner gives us quality depth, but you don't want a brand new puppy just because he had a great spring. You just don't want to do it. I'm just telling you. Uh, Doby's going to give us some flexibility. Vickers and crew, Rowe and those guys are going to give us some flexibility. I think they think Rowe is a corner, so I think he's actually going to be a corner, but I don't think he's a starter. He, he's got a lot of work to do. In order to get into the uh, into the into the fold, uh, um, McCullough is a backer, and if he's a cheetah, he's a he's a cheetah slash backer. He's not a cheetah slash safety. Um, I think Harrington gives us the most versatility there, where he's a three down player and can and can help in the box, can help in the hole, can help. I, I, I mean, the cheetah does have some deals where he's pre snapped lined up deep. So I guess potentially, but I think even then he's a robber. I don't, I, I haven't seen many times where the cheetah is sinking like zone wise, he might man up on someone. So, uh, Harrington's going to give us a lot of support there. Um, the, the, the interesting thing I, I gotta tell you, I just heard a lot of positives about key and, and key had a terrible week 14 against Florida state, but he's definitely not a guy who they have given up on. There was there was the potential that he might have been mentally not there, but I, I, I hear he had a strong screen, a spring, and he's a guy who they hope will be in the fold because his ceiling is high. We've seen his floor a couple times, and his inconsistencies are are well documented. But he's got a high ceiling; he does. In certain scenarios, he's a good player. Certain times, two seasons ago, he was our best DB. It, it just it is what it is, right? So um, week zero, I think I think we probably roll out Pearson. And Bowen, Bowman, um, I think we get a lot of Bowen and Key. Uh, I think Dolby and Vickers, we, we'll probably see them playing a ton inside and out. 
Uh, I think starters will probably get 60% of the snaps, maybe 70, 65, 60 to 70% of snaps. You'll see a lot of rotation so that they can get film on all the players. There'll be blowouts. So the twos and the threes will get a lot of third and fourth quarter snaps. Um, but by Texas, and, and right, there's a lot of variables I can't say. I would say McCullough's you're in the box, Cheetah. I bet McCullough is more versatility. Vers- uh, I don't even know if that's a word. I think McCullough is a mixture between a cheetah and a will. And there are downs where McCullough is in, Danny, or the, the, the new kid we got who they really like, the kid who comes from the small college, and you got McCullough and Harrington in the game. I bet you we see that by Texas because they see McCullough's physical and really good going forward. And, and, and Harrington gives us real flexibility where we're essentially a nickel, but big enough to play against the run. Um, I think your safeties are Bowman and, and Reggie. I, I, I'm, I'm just telling the fans, he, he's not blitz and glam, but dude is going to fill the gap. Dude is going to be around the ball. Dude is going to be physical and make tackles. Um, and he's going to bring some of that early 2000s energy where Oklahoma is looked as a more physical defense. And I think our starting corners are Gentry and uh, Woody. I really do. I think Wagner and 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 Vickers um, and uh, Jennings and those guys get the opportunity to see where they where they fit in between August and September, and maybe one of those guys will emerge. I wouldn't be surprised, Barry, if one of those guys emerges and is a guy, but I don't think any of them today have the ceiling to just, like Gentry's been in the program, I think this will be his, is this his second or third season? Is this his third? I think his third year, yeah. Right, so he, he's a grown man now. By the way, your yeah. third year, like my third year is the year I got hurt. I The game slowed down. It felt like it was starting to feel like high school football again. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, I know how this works. Cover three, right? Oh, when I see this, this is man. And when I see that, this is zone. Oh, they can't guard me. Like by my third year, I was like, he can't guard me. Like I would literally line up. So Gentry is going to have that level of comfortability. The college game isn't going to be too big for him. And he's a stud athlete. Uh, Woody, what do you got to say about Woody? Woody's a guy who could let Woody have a bad first couple games of the season and, and be one of the worst. Oh, I see worse is a bad word, but maybe not the best athlete at corner. I think Woody's a better nickel slash safety in the NFL than corner because he's got to be able to run with guys. Agreed. Agreed. So that that's just that's just how I look at it. Yeah. But but for the college game and what he's done and what he means yeah. and guys dang out Woody's a dope kid. I've met him a ton. He's 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 good people's, but just like from the athleticism piece, like there's no way in heaven I, I think I'm an X in the NFL. I played X for OU. I knew how to play it, but I'm not an X. I ain't beating single man coverage and my whole responsibility is to make the safety right, get out of the box so they can run the ball. Nah, put me in a slot and let me go against backers and safeties. I'll get busy. Woody is going to, in my opinion, he's got to go to a place that's going to play cover two and give him safety help and allow him to hit the flats and skies and coverage. And so I think with OU's transition and talent, a Wagner and or Vickers, somebody like that who shows Gentry type talent, that might be problematic for him his senior year in a year when BV needs to win. I think his loyalties won't just be blind faith towards a kid if multiple players, especially kids he recruited, show the ability to to be successful. So Woody's a wild card, but I think he starts. Woody, I think he's gonna have a great season. So let me not even throw that out there. But that's just something that's just something I notice. Um 
But you know, we 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 we've got some. There's rumors that there's some, uh, you know, there's some potential depth. Uh, and, you know, that we're still recruiting. I think there's a space for one or two more guys to come in and provide more competition. I'm interested to hear what you think. Well, I mean, well, when you watch the spring game back, and spring games are tough to gauge, but I, I did a few posts on it. Um, Justin Harrington, I, I think I talked about this a little bit, but he popped off the film in terms of things he was doing just from a comfort level. And it's tough to know like how much of that is because he sees it in practice all the time and how much of that is just he's improved with his reaction, he's improved with his understanding of technique, how to leverage. There were certain things he was doing where it, instead of taking that straight angle, he was bananaing the angle, right? He, he was um, using the field as an ally instead of taking these awful angles that that we've seen year after year both safety and backer take there was some good to that reggie is such a fascinating athlete because as you said he's not the the glitz and glam guy he is you watch josiah wagner and some of the workouts that he's posted up and uh reggie jones is one of the guys i don't know if you're familiar with him he's the been the guy working with uh with with josiah uh, played for the Saints, I think, for like three years um, as a as a defensive back, if I remember right. But his feet are just crazy. The, Josiah has athleticism in his lower half that just walks on campus, and he's got it. Um, Reggie, he has some very very intriguing closing speed, and so much of that has to do with he just has good instincts, right? So a guy might be very athletic but might not have the, 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 the eyes or the reaction time to understand what he's seeing and go get it. The play that he made against the, um, what's that? The, I think it was the, the tight end in the left side of the end zone or, or his left in the spring game. And then also a handful, a handful of the plays where they brought him off the edge. I mean, he, he just popped on the film. Dolby will be interesting as far as where he plays. I saw him at corner get tied up a few times. His feet kind of got out from underneath him. Um, he he got got by a few receivers. He probably shouldn't have got got by. I think one of them was Drake Stoops, right? And then no disrespect to Drake, but if you're wanting to play corner at Oklahoma, especially with some of the guys in the Big 12, you're going to be lining up against. You need to be able to handle that. And at the very least, get beaten in, in a relatively fair way. I know he got beat by Farouk on a play, but that was a little more just kind of by design, the way the play was drawn up. But still got to know what to do and make that play. And a lot of that comes down to just communicating, not really knowing whose responsibility was what. But I think that's going to be one of the most intriguing position battles going into fall. And then as it relates to the season, I think there's a possibility that you see a ton of guys play in the secondary and at backer in that first game. And before we close out today, it was Chattanooga. It was Chattanooga. It definitely was Tennessee Chattanooga. <laughs> they didn't Empty, <laughs> bro. I made so much fun of him that night. Now he's out of Oregon. And he's got yep. four three stars, three, four stars or something. By the way, he coached, what's the kid's name at uh, the Rams? White dude, best in the league. Receiver. Oh, uh, uh, Cooper Cup. He was telling me about Cooper Cup 
when he was coaching him at Eastern Washington on that damn red field, he would call me like, bro, wow. I got a receiver. He's a stud. He's a, he told me he was like, he's a four, six guy, but he's got everything else. He was talking about Cooper cup, bro. I was like, wait a minute, Cooper cup. That's the kid. Yeah. Cool stuff. Okay. Yeah. It was Chattanooga. Definitely Chattanooga. was Chattanooga. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. They didn't well, get the nation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I had to look it up. It was 2008. Oh, use uh, Bradford and yep. Yep. Uh, well, Sooner Nation, thank you all for tuning in today. Hope you got the uh, got the goods you want and there's going to be more goods coming down the road. Uh, make sure to go uh, go take a look at Sooners360.com. Go listen to the Sooners360 Recruiting Podcast. And of course, we're going to have Reggie Pearson Jr. on the show coming up very soon. And stay tuned listening to the Barry and Mac show, the, the, the OG and the family, um, make sure to go follow all the socials at D underscore Mac 13 on Twitter at B wise fitness at letter B W I S E fitness on Twitter and Instagram. And he's Dame that dude. I still joke around that because he got hacked a while back. He had to, but Dame that dude is, (laughs) is still the Instagram man. Getting hacked on IG is rough. But uh, Sooner Nation, thank you all so much for tuning in today, and we will see you soon.